0: This morning, I believe the Spirit of God is laid upon my heart to speak to you about the resurrection and ascension power of the redeemed, actually in the redeemed. And in an effort to explain this, we are going to be looking primarily at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, but I would like to read... Ephesians 1 beginning in verse 15, and this is not on the screen, so you will need to use your Bibles. So if you will turn to Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15, I will read our text for this morning. The inspired Apostle Paul speaking here to the saints at Ephesus and ultimately to all of us. He says, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while make, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. in all. I would submit to you that the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ were events that exceed the importance of all other events in history. Perhaps only the creation of the universe would be their rival. But all three of those supernatural events derived their power from the Lord Jesus Christ. According to John 1 3, for all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into, a be, in, into being. Indeed, dear friends, the Lord Jesus is the self-existent, pre existent, uncreated creator of the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence and the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. And as the Lamb of God who hung upon that wretched, wretched tree, we know that he exercised his will as he released his soul from his body. As promised, we read of this in John 10, beginning in verse 17, where Jesus said, I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Indeed, our omnipotent Savior was sovereign over his death and over his resurrection. And dear Christian, that same supernatural power that he exercised to rise from the dead and ascend back into glory resides in each one of you who have placed your faith in him. Absolutely astounding. The resources we have as a result of being united to Christ are unimaginably powerful. But I fear far too many Christians lack the necessary wisdom and obedience To appropriate the blessings and the resources that already reside within them. Too many Christians foolishly believe that they must somehow pursue, for example, a second blessing, that somehow they need more of the Holy Spirit, or they need more love, or more grace, or more strength, or more peace, or more power, more blessings, on and on it goes. Or they foolishly appeal to the wisdom of man to somehow help them understand how to function in life. They pursue the psychology of self-esteem. They go to Dr. Phil to help them cope with life. When in fact, we read in Second Peter 1 and verse 3 that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this amazing truth. We read about it in Colossians 1 and verse 12, for example. There he says that the Father has qualified us, literally authorized us, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He goes on to say in chapter 2 and verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then beginning in verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through the philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, And in him you have been made complete. Indeed, dear friends, before time began, before the foundations of the world were ever even created, eons of ages before you were ever born, God predestined you by name to save you by his grace and to supply you with all of the resources you would ever need to function in this life and to glorify him forever in eternity. So therefore we never need to pray for more spiritual resources to be able to meet the challenges of life, but we do need to pray for more wisdom to know Christ, to know who we are in him so that we can tap into the resources that we already possess And because the inspired apostle here in this text uses the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ as an illustration of that resident power, what better time to rediscover these truths than on Resurrection Sunday, amen? So I trust we will all learn to mimic the apostle Paul by praising God for all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And may we never stop grasping for more understanding of that fullness that is ours in Christ. So this morning, we want to look at Paul's prayer and apply it to our lives. We're going to see that he prayed essentially for three categories, that the saints would, number one, have wisdom to know the person of Christ, secondly, the power of Christ, and then finally, that they would understand the preeminence of Christ. So under these headings, let's look first of all at what he says with regard to the person of Christ, beginning in Ephesians 1, verse 17. And remember now, he's interceding on their behalf. He has a burden for them. That, he says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom. Literally what he's saying is, I'm praying that you will have a deep grasp of who you are in Christ and the resources that you have in him. He goes on to say, and of revelation, which here is a synonym for wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now the term knowledge is one in which the Apostle Paul is tapping back into Old Testament concepts. The Old Testament concept of knowledge is that of a true knowledge of who God is, and that begins with a reverential awe of him. In fact, we read in Proverbs 1.7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in the Old Testament, we see that this true knowledge of God produces an intimate walk with the one who made himself known to us. It includes an obedient heart to his will. And, of course, this was lost in the garden due to sin. There was a separation that took place. But the good news is that in salvation, paradise lost is paradise gained. So the great burden of Paul's intercession here is that the the Spirit of God, through his word, would impart wisdom and knowledge to them according to the fear of the Lord. That they might understand more fully the marvelous graces and blessings that are inherent in their salvation. And how to walk worthy of that calling. If you will notice the appellation here in this text, the father of glory. We must remember that this is speaking of the one who is all glorious. He is the source of all glory. He's deserving of all glory. And this also applies to the Son and the Holy Spirit, since they are also of the same essence. So folks, please understand that the glory of God is proportional to the spirit of wisdom and knowledge that we possess concerning the person and the work of Christ. If you truly want to bring glory to God, you've got to understand these things and live consistently with them. And that is Paul's great burden. You see, a superficial wisdom, a superficial knowledge produces superficial worship in superficial Christians who spend their time splashing around in the kiddie pool of their Christian life. And they never get out and swim in the great depths of the eternal truths and therefore enjoy the resources that are theirs in Christ. And it's remarkable how the Spirit leads us to a holy life as he brings these truths to our mind and illuminates our minds so that we can understand them. And of course, this activates our will to live consistently with them. We read of this, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 12. There the apostle Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, this great mystery of redemption and all of the resources that are ours in Christ were described a few verses earlier, beginning in verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Let me read this to you. Here's what he's wanting them to really get a hold of. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. He goes on to say, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. This of course is a reference to the ultimate ingathering of the saints in the millennial kingdom that will be followed by the eternal state, the, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. The point being that we are united to Christ and in salvation. And one day, all of creation, the entirety of the universe, will be united to him, the creator and sustainer of all things. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read of this beginning in verse 27. Here Paul says, For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected who put all things in, subjected, in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Indeed, one day all whom the Father had given the Lord Jesus as his bride, all those who came to saving faith, and who worshiped and served him, all of those will be given back to him as a reciprocal expression of his love. There will be a day when, according to Philippians 2.10, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, dear friends, I pray that this encourages you. I pray that this helps you to focus on what is really important in life. All of the other stuff that we spend our time doing, some of it's necessary. A lot of it is frivolous, just a waste of time. But folks, at the very heart, these are the things that are important. These are the great blessings that are ours in Christ. It's for this reason that Paul said in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him. In glory. So Paul is essentially saying here, oh, Father, help these dear believers at Ephesus and these believers from the, now throughout redemptive history, including the saints at Calvary Bible Church, help them have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of who you are, of who Christ is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And I ask you, dear friends, is this a priority in your prayer life? Do you pray for these things for yourself? Do you pray for these things with your children? Do you pray, Father, help me guard my heart from frantically searching for meaning and purpose and and power and identity as a person? (laughs) Help me comprehend and recognize the value of who I am in Christ. Back to our text, Paul goes on to say, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know three things, okay? Three things. First of all, what is the hope of his calling? Notice it doesn't say what is the hope of your calling, the hope of our calling, but the hope of his calling. This is a reference to the efficacious call of God in salvation, in Ephesians 4.4 four. 4 Paul goes on to say, you were called in one hope of your calling. And as we read this passage and so many others, we see that his calling originated in the uninfluenced choice of his his own decrees, of his people. He chose us before the foundation of the world, according to chapter 1 and verse 4. And that calling became operative in our lives when we heard the gospel and when by the power of the Holy Spirit, he caused us to voluntarily believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. As Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 30, these whom he predestined, he also called and these whom he called, he also justified and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, what has he called us to? Well, he's called us to salvation well what does that ultimately mean it means to make us christ-like that is the calling that we might be conformed to the image of his son romans 8 29. so paul is praying that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened through his word and the spirit to help them understand that indeed they were chosen before the foundation of the world to be blessed with every spiritual blessing. He's praying that they would be able to live a life that is, that is holy and blameless before him and be conformed to the image of his son. Literally, if you study all that he's said thus far, and therefore the content of his prayer for them to understand, you will see that he's praying that they will get a hold of the astounding truths with respect to election and predestination and their adoption as sons, forgiveness by His free grace, the efficacy of the atonement. He's praying that they will get a hold of the mystery of His will and all that that would include. He wants them to grasp the depths of their inheritance and who they are in Christ, their hope in Christ, their sealing and pledge of the Holy Spirit of promise. But secondly, he's praying That the eyes of their heart may be enlightened so that they will know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Folks, that's us. And again, that's what he's just articulated in verses 3 through 14. We are chosen in Christ. We belong to him. It's an amazing thought. We are his prized possession. That's why in verse 13 and 14 he says, You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. You see, in us he will display all of the marvels of his glorious perfections. And the whole universe will see it. Dear Christian, please understand, he has saved us to put his glory on display. Think about that as you live your life. Does your life reflect his glory? We know, according to Romans eight nineteen, that the anxious longing of the creation waits, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What a day that will be. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Oh, Paul is saying, I pray that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened to these great truths. But thirdly, he prays that they will understand what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. You see, we possess the eternal, infinite resources of the triune Godhead that dwells within us. So therefore, because of him, we have the power to defeat sin and Satan and death and all the temptations of this world to defeat the power of our flesh and ultimately live for the glory of Christ. I pray, he's saying, that your heart will be enlightened to these things. Now, of course, those who are without Christ are blind to these things. They would hear me speaking, for example, and think, my, what an idiot that guy is. I can't believe he would actually believe this stuff, much less talk about it. You see, they have no concern for the glory of God, for the heavenly things. They do not set their mind on the things of above. They are shackled to this earth. They have no fear of God, so they have no knowledge, no understanding. It's not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of humility, of heart, and faith in Christ that produces regeneration, that transformation of the inner man when we are born again. For the lost, their hope is in themselves. Their joy is in this life only. And their heart is literally ruled by their own lusts. They live in darkness, and it's only if and when God gives them sight that they can see the horror of their sin and the glory of the cross. But then, oh, behold, when we see Christ in all of his glory, do you remember that day when it really gripped your heart, when you really saw it? It's like nothing else matters, and suddenly in the light of his glory we see the wretchedness of our own depravity. And it's at that point, dear friends, that you can truly sing Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found T'was blind, but now I see Is this the passion of your heart? If so, dear friends, this will be a dominating theme in your prayer life That you will understand these things more fully with every passing day. So he begins with a prayer for wisdom that they will know the person of Christ and all that that would include. But secondly, that they would have wisdom to know the power of Christ. Notice verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Will you notice there are three synonyms here to express the magnitude of his power. Working, strength, might. Do you realize, dear Christian, that he is working with the strength of his might in you every single day, accomplishing his good pleasure, conforming you into the likeness of Christ. He is working in you regardless of the circumstances, whether they are good or whether they are bad. And many times I detect that he's working more in me when the times are bad than when they are good. Maybe you can identify with that. He wants us to worship him and to enjoy him in this life and in eternity. And here's the point. All that we will ever need to live a life that is pleasing to him and bring joy and blessing and assurance of salvation to us, all that we will ever need is already our possession. Obviously, the Ephesian believers had a weak and inadequate understanding of these things. And I fear that's true for many believers. Thus, I'm compelled to speak about this here this morning. Many times I hear believers say, oh, I just feel like God is forsaking me. Oh, I'm afraid I may have lost my salvation. Oh, I need something more. I, I need to get pumped up. I need some emotional power here. Maybe I need a second blessing Maybe I need to be baptized by the Spirit. I need to find more rules to keep so I can feel more godly. (laughs) Or I need more psychological therapy to help me cope with life, to help me be happy. No, dear friends, that's, none of those things are what you need. What you need is for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened that you may know what is the surpassing greatness of the power toward us who believe. Yes, but pastor, I, I just can't seem to do that. I, I feel powerless, helpless, trapped. I need help. Yeah, the problem is you're being ruled by your feelings, not by your mind. Not by the word of Christ. The problem is you have an insufficient and perhaps warped understanding of soteriology. Big word, it simply means the doctrine of salvation. You don't understand salvation. You don't understand who you are in Christ. You don't understand that great doctrine. Well, I just don't think like that. I, I, I don't use those theological words, All that, all that stuff. Well, dear friends, you need to start doing that. If you're a Christian, you might need to get a dictionary. But certainly you need to start reading your Bible because these are the great truths that God has communicated to you that you might know him more fully and enjoy him more fully and serve him more worthily. Oh, yeah, but I, I, I'm just not into that type of thing. Boy, what a lame excuse. And you know, if you look at our culture today, my goodness, you listen to people talk, and um, I'm like, you know, and he's like, and I'm like, and he's like, you know, and um, awesome. I mean, that you remove those words from their vocabulary, and they can't speak. I mean, we have gotten dumbed down to a point where it's embarrassing, and we can't have that in the church. And that's why Paul is praying, oh, Father, do something. To give them the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, enlighten the minds of their hearts, the eyes of their hearts. And dear Christian, that's what I'm pleading for you. Most Christians don't know who they are in Christ. Therefore, they are unable, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6, verse 11. He goes on and he talks about the armor. You will recall. He says, beginning in verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And, catch this now, take the helmet of salvation. In other words, understand the doctrine of salvation that you will be protected from all of the error and all of the silly stuff that you will tend to believe. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Far too many Christians are wearing a toy helmet and they're wielding a plastic sword, trying to parry the the, the blows and and the swordsmanship of of a satanic samurai swordsman and they wonder why they get destroyed. Well, they have no head protection. They don't know how to use their sword. That's what Paul is praying for here. And how many times do you see Christians coming in contact with those who know error better than they know truth? And that is certainly true for our young people in public schools and in colleges and universities. You show me a Christian that's constantly making bad choices constantly unable to function in life and i'll show you a christian that's either living in sin and or they simply do not understand who they are in christ they don't understand these great truths that paul is talking about now you expect this in the unregenerate naturally you know they have no fear of god the word of god is foolishness to them and so forth And I grieve for them. They're they're trying to make sense out of life. They're always in search of meaning and purpose. And the big thing now is identity. You know, if you're looking for your identity, you know, so you got all this gender confusion. You know, boys want to identify as a girl, and a girl wants to identify as a boy, which by the way, God makes it very clear that we are to never blur the distinctions between maleness and femaleness, and those who do will never enter the kingdom, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, and many other passages. By the way, studies have shown that 80% of children suffering from gender dysphoria outgrow it by late adolescence if their confusion is not affirmed by adults. This radical trans indoctrination of young children is wicked beyond words, but you can understand people are grasping for something. And I would give them Christ. I would give them the gospel. I mean, what depraved mind could possibly support the surgical and chemical mutilation of children, which I was reading the White House describes as "quote gender affirming health care for transgendered kids." I mean, that, that that is just beyond insane. It is wicked. The type of thinking is straight from the pits of hell. These kids and their parents need to find their identity and their joy in Christ. Christ offers himself. You find your identity in him. You find your meaning and your joy and your purpose. Knowing the one who is the lover of your soul. That has given you all of the resources you will ever need. To find joy in life regardless of the circumstances. But when Christians can't seem to function. Ultimately, that is rooted in an inability to articulate the great truths of Scripture. They simply don't know and therefore obey the truth. Folks, please hear me. When we come to faith in Christ, truly repentant faith in Christ, we know that the Spirit of God causes us to be born again. There's that supernatural impartation of spiritual life to the spiritually dead. We become a new creature in Christ. The old things pass away. The new things come. Suddenly, the scriptures begin to make sense to us. And the more we understand them and the more we apply them to our lives, the more excited we become about all that is ours in Christ. And in that, he empowers us to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've witnessed Christians who are trying to impress God by doing some new list of good works or some ritual or or their asceticism, the extreme self-denial or, or they're seeking after visions or mystical experiences as if the Bible isn't enough and what Christ has already done isn't enough, we've got to have something more and they're always in search of that or people that are kind of saying to themselves, well, I pray that God will Will help me stay in his good graces so I don't lose my salvation. I mean, what a tragedy. No, no, all of the riches of God's grace and salvation are fully ours at the moment we come to faith in Christ. And back to the verse here in verse 19, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Not your might, not my might, but his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You think you need God's help? Have you ever raised anybody from the dead? I think that puts us in a little bit different category, right? It's God that has the power. In 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 4, Peter tells us that our inheritance is, quote, reserved in heaven for you. I love this. He goes on to say it's protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And you think God can't bless you? You think that he can't accomplish great things in you and for you and through you? I mean, we're talking about resurrection power here again these are in accordance verse 19 with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead dear Christian when you feel abandoned when you feel weak when you feel helpless and powerless I I, I hope this doesn't sound cruel but read your Bible Get a hold of those truths that are there. Meditate upon them. Gain some wisdom and understanding. And catch this, pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. In other words, focus on the glory of Christ and who you are in him. Focus on the fact that because We are united to Christ in saving faith. We are united to the resurrected Christ, that his resurrection body contained the infinite power of the self-existent, pre-existent, uncreated creator of the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. You're united to him forever. He is the source of eternal life for all who believe and the crucified and resurrected and ascended Son of God. Oh, but my sin is too great. What if I sin so greatly I lose my salvation? Or as someone once said to me, how, how can there be no condemnation for those who are in Christ when sin remains in us and death is its fruit? Woe is me, what am I gonna do? Are you Are gonna go to scripture? <laughs> Romans 8, beginning of verse 10, if Christ is in you, and that's the real key, if he is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit, referring to the human spirit, is alive because of righteousness, and is because of your justification, because you've been declared righteous, because he has imputed unto us the righteousness of Christ. Then he goes on to say, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now let that one soak in. Goes on to say, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Beloved, do you realize that the same spirit that ministered to our precious Lord for 33 years dwells in you and dwells in me? First Corinthians 6.14, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise Us up through his power this is what Paul is praying for that they will get a hold of these things the same omnipotent power that raised Christ from the dead resides in all who are united to him by saving faith and it's that same power that raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life when we were born again And, beloved, that will be the same power that will one day raise us from the grave to eternal life. I don't know which is a greater miracle. I remember hearing a number of years ago an old recording of that Scottish preacher, William Still. He died in 1997. He, by the way, was the longest-serving minister of the Church of Scotland. He served for 52 years in one church. He described the power of Christ in his own inimitable style with that great Scottish accent. Here's what he said. He is the embryo of all that one day will exist outside of hell. All that does not belong to him and his resurrection body and issues not from him will be burned up one day. Only that which is transformed by his coming power and glory will remain. The potential of that new Christ that stood before Mary at the first so that she mistook him for the gardener is the source of all that will survive the original creation when it is burned up and reconstituted. And he says it is the Holy Spirit sent from him belonging to him and enshrining all the virtues of his victories over all evil who dwells in your poor heart and mind, end quote. Oh, Paul is saying, help them to grasp these things for they are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And here he is speaking of just that incredible event, the ascension of the Lord Jesus. We read about it in Acts 1, beginning in verse 9. He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Don't you wish you could have seen that? And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Obviously, the Lord wanted them to see this so that he could help them refrain from worry and from fear they saw with their own eyes the power of the resurrection so therefore there's no need to to fear men there's no need to strive after the praise of men and to pursue the things of this earth oh dear friends i pray that you will see the exalted christ that you will be willing to serve him his exaltation foreshadows ours His resurrection and ascension prefigures ours. I mean, think about it. When Jesus came to earth, he took on humanity. When he ascended back into glory, he took humanity with him. It's an amazing thought. Right now, if you were to see him seated at the right hand of the Father, he would look like a human. And the point is, Jesus wanted them to understand something in his ascension. He wanted them to see that and say, therefore, I will exalt you as well. Trust me. So why do we seek after man's affirmation? Why do we fear men? As I've often said, that's the power of Facebook. People desperate for attention, so they put all of their stuff on there. I remember the first time I played on the stage of the Grand Old Opry at the Ryman Auditorium and I received a standing ovation. I think it was probably the only time Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu and C Sharp Minor was played on the piano in that great place, but I did that. Now, you roll your eyes and wonder, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I was drafted to go to Vietnam in 1970. I had to go to Nashville for my physical It was two hours before the bus was going to leave, so I thought, well, I'm going to go down and see this Ryman Auditorium. That's when Nashville was still little. I walked down there, and the side door was open, so I just walked up on the stage. Nobody was in there. (laughs) Big piano there. I was being groomed to be a concert pianist, so I just sat down and thought, I want to see what this sounds like. And I just got lost in it. And I went through... Chopin's great piece, and all of a sudden I hear somebody clapping, and I look over to the side, and it's the janitor giving me a standing ovation. (laughs) And then in a very kind way, he said, you're not supposed to be in here. (laughs) And he asked me to leave. Now, my point with that little story is in God's eyes, man's affirmation of us is as meaningless as that janitor's applause. We don't need that. Oh, but what if they cancel me? (laughs) I bet if I were to ask how many in here have been canceled, probably almost every hand would go up. And if you haven't, you will be. What if they cancel me? Oh, my response is Jesus' response in Matthew 5. Beginning in verse 10, and you don't have this on your screen, Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get canceled, folks, rejoice. Rejoice if you're canceled, Because of your stand for Christ. He went on to say, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember Jesus said in Luke 6 and verse 26, beware when all men speak well of you. That's when you know you're going in the wrong direction. You see, folks, when your identity is in Christ, your worth is in Christ. Your joy is in Christ. Your power is in Christ. And all you have to do is look at the resurrection and the ascension of Christ to get a little glimpse of what that's all about. Moreover, the resurrection and ascension power of Christ resides within you. That's just absolutely mind blowing. He has redeemed us, that he might inhabit us and sanctify us and conform us into the likeness of our precious savior and cause us to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. And you're afraid of being canceled? Well, I get some very harsh criticism and I know this probably sounds cruel, but I just kind of see these people as an army of dung beetles. You know, they, I, I just don't pay much attention to them. You know, I, I don't serve them. I'm a child of the king by his mercy, by his grace. Well, they're no threat to me. They're no threat to you. And how do we gain strength and confidence? Well, it's by the power of the indwelling Christ and all that he has promised. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1, 6, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of christ jesus so paul is praying that they will grasp the magnitude of these undeserved riches ephesians 3 he adds this beginning in verse verse 14 for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. So as we wrap this up this morning, Paul prays that they will understand more fully the person of Christ and the power of Christ And finally, the preeminence of Christ, that is the supremacy of Christ. Verse 21, he says, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Again, right now, that's where the Lord Jesus Christ is, at that seat of honor, that seat of privilege. One day we will join him in that realm. Verse 22, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. By the way, these were Jewish terms that referred to the hierarchy of authorities, especially as they related to angelic beings, including Satan and his demonic forces. The point here is that the power and the authority and purposes of Christ reside in every believer. We all have this, and, and that power and the, those purposes cannot be thwarted by man or by devil. In fact, John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have, have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than what? Than he who is in the world. Why? Because of the preeminence of Christ. Peter described this as well, fascinating text. First Peter 3, beginning at verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God and having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. He went on to say through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. What he's saying here is between Christ's death and resurrection, his living spirit visited the abyss, that place where the most vile of all demons have been incarcerated because of what they did during the days of Noah. Remember in Genesis 6, you read about the Nephilim who cohabited with females, the daughters of men, it says. Demons that entered men possessed them and then had relations with women. Perhaps, we're not sure, they were trying to produce a a mongrel progeny that would not be totally human and therefore destroy the human line, the seed of the woman from which Christ was promised to come, according to Genesis 3.15. A mongrel race, imagine this, both demon and human, an attempt to corrupt the, the human strain to prevent the possibility of the incarnation of Christ and all of the implications of that. And thus thwart the possibility of a man dying for man again we're not sure of all of this but it was a plot so diabolical somehow aimed at preventing the atoning work of Christ preventing salvation preventing God from receiving glory it was so vile that God incarcerated them this cohabitation was a wickedness so heinous that He bound them, according to 2 Peter 2.4, in chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Because, according to Jude 6, they did not keep their proper domain. The exploits of these vile demons were even compared to the sexual perversions of homosexuality. We read about this in Jude 6. That of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality... And went after strange flesh exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Well, I use this only as an example, dear friends, to understand the power of Christ and all that he has done. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's far above all, he says, rule and authority and power and dominion. In other words, far above the reach of Satan and all of his minions. No more corrupt Lying, immoral, narcissistic, control freak politicians. Imagine that. Beyond the reach of liberal lunacy and all of the other wicked things that are out there. Not only that, he says, and far above every name that is named. In other words, every dignified, famous celebrity, every person that man applauds, above Satan and all of his ranks of demons. He is the king of kings. And not only in this age, he says, but also in the one to come. Oh, what a glorious future. Speaking of the new age of the messianic kingdom that's coming that will serve as the consummating bridge between redemptive history and the eternal kingdom. All of that was determined in eternity past, but it has not yet been consummated, but it will. And when it is, when the glory of Christ's kingdom is established at his second coming, every ruling power on earth will bow to the victory of Christ's exaltation. Paul is saying, oh, help them to get a hold of this. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, verse 22. In other words, the position of regal authority given to the Son by the Father will also include... A kingdom where he will exercise his authority. Everything that exists will be in subjection to him. Step aside all you petty little tyrants. Jesus is king. And then he says finally. And he gave him his head over all things to the church. Which is the body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh the glory of the preeminence of Christ. He is the the head of the church, and also the head of all things that exist. And because we as believers make up the body of Christ of which he is head, we will one day experience the fullness of Christ who, as Paul says here, fills all in all. Don't you feel like you're missing something right now in your Christian life? We're just not made for this world, right? It's just just things we're longing for. We're longing for more of Christ, right? Yeah, he's given us all these resources, but the fullness of who he is awaits that day of consummation when he takes us into glory. John Calvin said, this is the highest honor of the church, that until he is united to us, the Son of God reckons himself in some measure incomplete. What consolation it is for us to learn that not until we are in the presence In his presence does he possess all his parts, nor does he wish to be regarded as complete. Oh dear Christian, the power that currently resides within us, the marvelous blessings and the resources that are ours are beyond our imagination. And all of this is anchored in and illustrated by the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. And I pray as Paul did, that we will all gain wisdom and knowledge of these great truths, relish them, meditate upon them, make them part of our vocabulary so that they will cause us to live them out in ways that will bring great glory to God and great joy to the redeemed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these eternal truths that... Speak so directly to our hearts and oh, thank you for your word that that has a way of changing us. Truly, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you for the resurrection, for the ascension of Christ and all that that means for us who are united to him. We give you praise. We give you thanks for all things. And we pray that you will come quickly and take us unto yourself. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.